Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 20 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Becchione. Welcome to today's episode. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. Welcome to FASD Hope. This is Natalie, and it is October, and I am looking forward to this conversation. Just to give you a heads up, it's going to be a little bit of a deep conversation, but this is a much-needed conversation. I met today's guest on the other podcast that I do, um, Homeschool Mom Collaborative. Dr. Deanna Wested, she is such a resource and such a support for not only homeschool families, but families of kids that learn differently. And um, she provides a number of services and resources that I'm, I will let her share with you. But when we had our conversation on Homeschool Mom Collaborative, when we stopped recording, we briefly got onto the topic of something that was a passion of both of ours. We started talking about what's known the acronym is STPP, the school to prison pipeline. And we talked about how it affects kids with diagnoses such as ours. And Deanna really just, we, I I told her, I was like, we really just need to have this conversation on FASD Hope because I want listeners to know about this. I actually have an experience and and what led us to homeschool in learning about the STPP. And just again, how we can best advocate for our kids, whether they're in regular school, whether they're in private school, or whether we homeschool them. So on that very lengthy introduction, I would like to welcome to FASD Hope, Dr. Deanna Wested of Empowering Parents. Dr. Deanna, thank you so much for being on FASD Hope. Thank you, Natalie. I am just so thrilled to be here to talk about um, something that's really dear to my heart, and that is making sure that all students um, with all the different overlapping characteristics that they bring, that they can access learning, that they can access their full potential and reach the learning that will help support their path in life. And as you shared, I think that, and of course, uh, I think nobody wants for this to be the pathway for our children. But um, unfortunately, this has become uh, something that is, uh, we use the word systemic, um, and it's something that is, uh, is ingrained. But I do believe that as we uncover this, as more discussions like this take place, and we talk about uh, the research that's going into this area, uh, that we can really make a, a dynamic shift in this outcome for students, whatever the the brain diagnosis is. Yes. 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 And we'll share a little bit about your experience and your kids and how they learn differently. Our son has an FASD. And again, this episode, we're titling it Breaking the Pipeline. In our last conversation, we started discussing the special ed school to prison pipeline, the STPP, and how disproportionately children with disabilities and students of color become most at risk to the STPP. This is a conversation that needs to happen in the FASD community. Let's talk about the STPP. When I was going through my program, um, I had been aware throughout my teaching career, especially in my formative teaching years, of, of this kind of connection. But as I worked my way through my program, and we talked about accessibility, and we talked about some of these cycles that are begun actually quite young with children. And it becomes almost like, you know, it's it's a projected reality that becomes true because it's started so young. And so when I was thinking about how this affects students who they begin to 
lack of belief in themselves because maybe their strengths aren't being identified or um, honed or their their challenges are not being handled in a way that is actually really addressing it that's really actually making a significant difference and 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 to be honest we all should care about this issue because it has a tremendous impact on our society and we lose these children who are have special gifts talents skills and and and, and we lose that opportunity to have that and i i completely believe that with uh the right uh type of uh, shift um, and, and with advocate, uh, advocating such as what you do, I do believe that we can um, start to make a, a difference for children and prevent this type of thing from happening. Yes. So before we start our conversation, um, Dr. Deanna, let's talk about your background and let's talk about not only your background in your professional, but how um, your familial background affected you have a very unique situation. Now you have one son who is in school in a traditional school setting and one son who is homeschooled. And Mm -hmm. I know that your story is so unique, but again, it's so relatable to so many of our listeners. So can you please share your journey? All right. So um, I am the mother of two boys. Um, They are currently uh, 15 and 14, 16 months apart to the day. And in elementary, and and we we had our own journey through the elementary years, eventually in elementary, and I had started to realize because my own background is I grew up in the educational world. My mother was in administration. And um, I grew up just always knowing that this was the path I wanted to take. Um, I loved teaching. I loved to line up my Cabbage Patch dolls and I would actually teach them, you know? Anyway, so as our our older son neared probably about kindergarten, first grade, I started to realize that there were some developmental milestones that maybe there there was kind of some things that, hmm, uh, executive functioning wise weren't quite, and I had to start taking a hard look at that. And I say that, very um, carefully because there is a spectrum of development that is quite normal. So we want to keep in mind, there's not a hard and fast, you know, this is the grade level. This is, but I started to notice some things that would be flags to me if I were to see it in my own classroom. But I, I, I really did not know because my background was not, you know, I didn't have the training. I, I couldn't diagnose. I didn't really know how to address that. Um, we did end up going through testing and we did end up finding out that he, his diagnosis was he did have overlapping giftedness with learning disabilities. And these learning disabilities were significantly impacting his access to learning, but his giftedness was also this additional layer. And I will add that the majority of our students that come to us with a brain-based diagnosis a lot of these students have an area of giftedness. And this is so critical because when we pigeonhole our students and try to fit that square peg into a round hole, it was never meant to fill because we need the square pegs. We need those students who have a different way of perceiving things. And thank goodness for that because I think that's why actually I have electricity Uh, where I'm sitting right now, because we had minds that thought differently, right? And so in any case, uh, we did end up getting that diagnosis. And from there, there was still more journey to be had. Um, There was the realization that within, for for my one son within the school setting, and, and at one point we were at a school that loved him, that honored him, the way that he was um, created, They could see his potential, but just that setting, it just wasn't going to um, be where he could grow the most. And so we ended up realizing that as a result of the pandemic, to be honest, uh, we, we ended up starting that desperation homeschooling. And we quickly realized that because there was so much one-to-one accountability and modeling that could be done. After one year, his executive functioning had grown. So that was his story. My younger son, he came to me and he wanted to go to the traditional setting and 
he was having his own challenges. Uh, homeschool was actually kind of like making him fit into that round hole when he was a square peg for homeschooling. And so it's just, it's been a positive thing for him. He also has his own overlapping diagnoses off the chart in his giftedness, but with a brain-based diagnosis of disability. And so, you know, and the one thing I want to preface that is a lot of people think, oh, gifted, that must be so nice. And I'm going to tell you it's hard because when you're raising a child that does not fall within that normative, you know, we, we think of, of gifted as being the kid with the pocket protector and they're, they're just there with their equations and stuff. And that is not it. Not for everybody. God bless the mothers and fathers who are in and, and grandparents and all families that are raising children with any neurodivergence, because it is um, truly important work and it's not easy and it's highly misunderstood within our society because unfortunately parents take the blame too often because, you know, and I'm going to be honest, you know, I used to wonder what I was doing wrong. And then so many pieces started to, you know, fall into place. I'll say that, you know, obviously it opens one's perspective about themselves. And I started to realize, oh, that kind of explains some things about me. But also you can see that I have a passion for this and I'm very highly focused on this topic, but that plays out very well because it's, it's something I can offer the world to. I was the kid that didn't finish my work for three years and missed every recess, but I was very quiet. I wasn't in trouble. You know, I wasn't acting out or, but I just, I couldn't, um, my brain could not handle that. So in any case, you start to learn things about yourself. I'm definitely not a school at home advocate either. You know, I mean, that's not the only thing I say. You know, I think there's such a broad range of what homeschool can look like if you're looking at a homeschooling situation. So I know with my background, a lot of people think, oh, she must just think it has to mimic that. And I really think that there is just so many different whether it's in a, a in-person school setting, a homeschool setting, a learning pod, there are so such a range of opportunities. And I'm, I feel so fortunate to live at this time in history where we, we are seeing these come more to the forefront and understanding the students can benefit from different models of education. I'm, I'm so thankful, Deanna, that you're speaking to us today because for many reasons, two main reasons is first of all, that in our last conversation on homeschool mom collaborative, you really just talked about how there's a variety of ways that you can school your child. You know, you can hybrid homeschool, charter school. There are so many opportunities in, in how you can have your child's learning be the best fit for him or her. So that that's to just share you as a resource to our listeners, number one. And then number two, talking about when we learn about our children's strengths and how our children have needs and what you said really hit home about executive functioning, the not hitting milestones and things like that. I really just want to talk about how we can break that that cycle of what's known as the school to prison pipeline, where our kids fall into, like you said, they fall into this cycle and it happens earlier and it happens more than we realize. And I want to open it before we, we start talking about your work. I want to open our conversation. I shared this with you before in, in our book, Blazing New Homeschool Trails, I talk about our, our son's journey and the moment that I knew that we were going to become homeschoolers. And this is where, you know, I had this epiphany that the teacher who, who said these words to me, she was talking about the STPP. She was talking about that. She was concerned that he was going to fall into that, that cycle. We had this, this meeting um, and basically it was recommended that our son go to a different program in a different school. And it was basically an encapsulated program, even though he was not failing at the time. And, and like you said, systemically, it's so hard for our kids who have 
strengths in one area and, and deficits mm-hmm. in the other area, it's it's hard for systems to figure out how to you know support them. So after the meeting, you know, when they explained this is what they were going to do and give him counseling because he was not going to see his friends anymore and this and that, my husband and I knew intuitively that, okay, we were going to start homeschooling him because this was just, no, we were not going to, this was not going to be a good fit. And as we walked out of the door of the conference room where where our meeting was held and all the teachers and administrators were, were filing out, this one teacher who was in the classroom that our son was in, she gently but firmly kind of took my husband and I aside and kind of pulled us into this small custodial hallway where uh, no one could see us. And she said these words, don't you dare let your son go into that program. You will lose the sweet boy that he is. And I shared it in the book and I you know, I know she's an angel. I, I don't want to say her name. I know that she put a lot on the line to tell us that. And that to me, I felt like was was our reinforcement from God saying, you're going to homeschool him because this is what he needs and this is what your family needs. And and like you said, Deanna, it's so it's so challenging. It's so incredibly challenging. This This journey of parenting and educating our kids that have both these uh, strengths and these mm-hmm. needs is incredibly hard. But I know that I, I'm so thankful we would not have realized his gifts in carpentry, his gifts in mm-hmm. woodworking, Absolutely. his gifts, if we had let him stay on that journey. And to be honest with you, he probably would have ended up in prison or in a gang or dropped out of school or something because those statistics, you know, and this was this was eight years ago. So, and I know that the statistics continue. Um, so I wanted to share that. Um, and, and again, this is not uh, this conversation. We're not bashing anything. We're just, we're exploring this topic. So people are aware of mm-hmm. this cycle so Absolutely. that people know that this cycle, they to advocate for their child, their loved one to, so that they don't fall into this cycle and that there are supports out there and there are there people are. out there who can help, you know, empower you as, as a parent. So let's talk about, um, before we talk about the STPP, as, as the ac- acronym is known, Deanna, can you quickly share what you do in your work? In my work, I, um, I work with a range of families, homeschooling families, some are unschooling families, some are, you know, they do more of a classical model. We personally in our home do an eclectic model. So I work with a range of families who homeschool or have their students in um, traditional setting. And I do a range of coaching uh, and consultation. So um, my, uh, my area of expertise is really that twice exceptional student or a student who is presenting with some sort of, like you, as you say, a brain-based diagnosis, a neurodivergence, where they can really benefit from some accommodations that will make the learning accessible for them. And, and, and the good news is, is that, uh, you know, we're learning so much more about it. We're going to focus on the things that, um, that the, we're going to focus on working through some of the things we need to work through. And whatever the title they would want to give that, we're going to address the way it's presenting. So, you know, that's a word of encouragement because just even getting, and I I read about it, I read in even the FASD community, it can be difficult to get that diagnosis or get that um, and have that recognized. So just to put that out there, that there might be different um, causations for what you're seeing, but there, there are, there are strategies. We worked with a specialist who she focused on children who were uh, twice exceptional. She was a social worker by trade, but she was, a uh, she worked with a whole family, but, and she wasn't a social worker at the time. She worked in her own private practice and she had an excellent mindset. And she actually opened me up to um, the work by Dr. Reed, but I'm going to, I'll shift back to, cause I get into that with the STPP. I will get into that. But um, additionally, something else I do is I do diagnostic academic assessments. I help families um, identify um, accommodations that can be done. 
I can type up reports based on that that they can share with their school. Um, just this morning, I did a webinar for a learning pod of teachers and, and talking about differentiation and focusing on strengths as well as being able to, to shore up those challenges and ha- how that might look. And I just finished about a 50, a 50 assessments for a learning pod in uh, Los Angeles where I did, I did the assessments online and was able to give a lot of data, both observational and data that was not just anecdotal, but also verifiable through, you know, this is how many words, this is the words that they're struggling with. This is their, the level of uh, orthographic develop, you know, development. So those are things that I offer, but I also work one-to-one with parents. If I have a group of parents, I offer discounts because I want to make my services very um, accessible to families. Um, I understand the challenges. So um, that is, that is what I specialize in. And at the end of our conversation, I'll be sharing Dr. Deanna's, her website, her social media handles, as well, not only in our program notes, but as well as in our social media posts this week on FASD Hope. So Dr. Deanna, let's talk about the STPP. In doing more research and realizing that that's what that teacher was referring to when she when she said those words. And and like you said, you said it perfectly. When we became desperation homeschoolers, because that's that's what I shared in, in our book and um, and so many people who have children with brain-based diagnoses and turn to homeschooling is out of desperation because of just, you know, the so many different experiences that happened and not getting their needs met or their child um, having his or her supports being offered. So we briefly talked about this, but I'd like to just have you kind of define this because from what I've learned, the school to prison pipeline, it really is about a disproportionate number of children and and teens that have either developmental disabilities, brain-based diagnoses, mental health diagnoses, any type of those type of diagnoses, and particularly students that are of color too, are at the highest risk of being pulled into that STPP, the school to prison pipeline. Um, This is a conversation that we need to have in the FASD community because we know so many of our kids check off those boxes and therefore are more susceptible to being being in that cycle of the school to prison pipeline. Let's talk about your research and what you found. Well, you know, and I want to actually speak to um, your point about the students that are most at risk and also remind our um, community here, uh, substantially risks go up for, for certain issues. You know, when we have children who are, you know, of, of color and with boys, there's a certain challenge that we face. So, you know, just to really highlight that, because it's critical to see the way that those identities, those characteristics overlap in our students and can really, we need to be aware of the, the lens there. The thing with the school to prison pipeline, and again, to preface it, as I said earlier, nobody wants this for our children. I think you know, a system has developed where the traditional consequences, um, they, they do not work with, uh, you know, students who have brain-based diagnosis because there are physiological reasons why they have impulsivity. Um, they may not get the cause-effect relationship and they are doing the best that they can. They are not intending to be disruptive we have sometimes, and so that's not the case for every child that follows under this umbrella. For some students, it starts that cycle. So instead of addressing, and that was, you know, for our family, we wanted to address what are the ways that we can actually address this? Because I'll tell you, when we were in the public uh, system in the beginning, the we had a, a, a situation, the very, uh, like it was first grade, where the the solution was they they were talking about suspending my child, a first grader. And I thought, I think there's more to this situation that I think there's a different way that because sending him home for a couple of days isn't going to address and bring a solution. 
And so when we start them that young, and by the time they get to middle school, that is just a feather in their cap for some, for others, it's they build a protective layer and they act tough. I mean, they, they become survival experts. We don't want our kids to just survive. We want them to thrive, yeah. right? Personally, from my personal, I feel that that's what I wanted for my kids. So I identify 100% and it broke my heart that, you know, my son was going to, and it ended up being a recess detention, but there again, and I had, I had witnessed students starting down this path young, and I had seen other people that were further ahead on this path. I thought, I do not want my son to go down that path. And I see it. So that's, that's, we did pull him from that program at that time. You know, this is where we get into what are things that we can do? And there are experts, there's research being done. I'd love to share with your audience about Dr. R. Green. I share extensively because that was a game changer for our family. Um, He has a book called The Explosive Child. And I always tell parents, don't be put off by the name because you might not have an explosive child, but you might have an implosive child. So he talks in his book, not just about children that are having outward expressions, but also those that are inwardly or there's such a range and and with really the the most difficult behaviors, the types of things that honestly, um, you have to find your people to be able to discuss with, right? And you need to have your people to be able to discuss with people that understand and they, they know it's not because of anything that is being done or not done, you know, and so that that's one thing I do find your people find a safe place, find, you know, a podcast like this, where you can listen in and identify and know you're not alone in the journey. Um, But, you know, that's one of the things when we talk about it being systemic and really wanting to root it out, uh, get to the, to the the root of it. um, We need to address this cycle of discipline and whether it starts young or not, but sending children home, on suspension or passing it along isn't solving the problem. And it's not doing a service to that child. It's not doing a service to society. And yes, we need to have our learning environment safe for all children. So by no means, you know, am I saying, you know, we, we, we want our learning environment to be safe and we want all children to be able to be um, able to receive the support that they need. And that's where, you know, we're not addressing, and I'll, I'll share with you in, in some places, and it's different from state to state, um, but in California, in the area that I reside in, you cannot get some of these higher level of um, ra- like wraparound services where they have somebody who that's their role is they kind of go and they have the specialty, but they go in as a mentor and they wrap around to help the family. You cannot get those type of services until your child actually has either court appearances or has had, um, I don't want to say run-ins with the police, but you know that, that this, the police have been involved in situations. And I don't know, you know, about, you know, everybody's perspective on this. And I understand there's funding and all of these things. But when I learned that, I said, I'm not waiting for that. I'm going to be proactive now. Thank you. I was just going to say that everything you're saying about the systemic, quote unquote, discipline and I and discipline it's, it's just such a poor word to use because what we yeah, need to do is get exactly. to the, the root cause of the problem. Like you said, the root cause, and we need to support and we need to accommodate. Um, but what is happening with what, with what that sounds like, the first thing that came to mind is, is that's reactive, not proactive. And mm-hmm. it seems like this whole system of STPP is just snowballed from reactive, 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 rather than just getting down to the root of everything and saying, what are the causes? And and, and it, you do have to take a really big look at things like 
racial disparity, things mm-hmm. like, you know, exposure to alcohol and drugs, things like, you mm-hmm. know, socioeconomic status, things mm-hmm. like, you know, Im- imprisonment. All those need to be looked and examined so that you can just chip away at this this pillar of reaction and get to proactive. And and mm-hmm. like you said, and what you did is the same thing we did. We proactively said, we're yeah, we're not going to wait for that. And I think that I'm just so glad you're you're sharing this, Doctor Deanna, because I think so many parents, especially we get emails from parents of kids who are younger and just starting to have these, you know, oh, recess was taken away or this and that. And that does not solve anything. In fact, our guest on a previous episode, we've had a couple of guests share that in a few states, it's actually law that you cannot take recess away Mm -hmm. from a child as a discipline, which I applaud and think that should Mm -hmm. be in every state because we know for our kids that have brain-based diagnoses, Mm -hmm. that recess and those opportunities for physical activity reset their brain, reset their regulation. Mm -hmm. Quote unquote solution is actually contributing to the problem more. It's a, it's a matter of, you know, looking at the child holistically and sharing, you know, and I I talked about this earlier, but in it, it, from Uh, my experience, which was, you know, it wasn't the worst experience in the world, but what I will tell you what my takeaway is, in some ways, it was probably one of the worst for the kind of quiet, uh, didn't want to be in trouble kids, you know, um, to to not have recess. And, And because we talk about, was that impactful? Well, let's take a look because that this started in second grade. And it wasn't just once in a while. My memory, so it had to be a significant amount of times, was pretty much I didn't get recess from second to the middle of fourth grade. Now, and I don't, I'm not criticizing because that was a different day and age and the teachers were doing the best that they could. Um, I certainly wasn't going to tell my parents because I, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm being kept in a recess, you know, that's awful. Um, And they, this was, my parents didn't know until the middle of fourth grade. Because I was reading sub, I mean, I was reading high school level by the time I was eight. So it was just basically like, she's fine, she's fine, she's fine. Oh, wait a minute, she's missing 20 assignments. But what I will say to you, the cause and the effect, the connecting the dots, I didn't have that. Um, because I was dealing with my own neurodivergence, which has actually been an asset to me as an adult. But I remember sitting there in that chair going, what are, what are the other kids doing so different that they're going out? Like, why can't I finish my work? Why am I so weird? Weird. Why am I weird? Why can't I get my work done? And, and at the same time, I can remember that I was making patterns out of the numbers and creating stories, but I thought the other kids were doing that too. You know, I had no reference for anything different and nobody came alongside of me and help me connect those dots. And I needed that, you know, um, until later. And then we did, my parents found out. And then my, my mom worked with the teacher and we came up with a plan that worked for me. We tried it with my son. It didn't work for him. So we had to do something different. So I wanted, you know, that there's not just one. People always want to ask me, what did your parents do that worked? Because obviously you turned out, you know, you went, you got your doctorate. That's what well, well worked. Uh, and I tell them, I go, well, it worked for me, but I'll tell you, I tried it with my son. It didn't work for him. We had to do something different. So I preface that. But my point with that is that's how children feel. There, there can be that disconnect between cause and effect. And it's not because they don't care. It's not because they're bad kids. These are sweet children that, ha- I mean, have the best of hearts. And they, they can't, they can't see a way out and they need. So when I share about like the Dr. Green um, collaborative and initially his work was actually geared towards the school system and it was geared towards the cycle of suspension that's happening and not doing anything really um, for the most part. I mean, you know, it just becomes a cycle, right? Um, and, it, it, and then he carried it over to collaborative parenting. So uh, it, it's for both situations. And if, if a, a parent finds themselves um, 
with their child in a situation in the school and they want to know how to advocate, um, I highly recommend, I don't know, so you have to kind of feel your way on the situation, but you want to pass along a copy of that um, to an admin or uh, it's so profoundly impactful. Um, and I can tell you in my parenting that uh, applying that to, to parenting um, has been extremely, extremely impactful. And, and we also, another approach too that we strongly promote um, on FASD Hope that our family, we utilize that we we did the training is the neurobehavioral training, the facets um, by Diane Malbin, the um, training based on the book, Trying Differently Rather Than Harder, which is not only mm -hmm. for fetal alcohol, but for neurobehavioral. And basically it's the same thing. It's you're getting to the root you're understanding the symptom because what we know, and you and I had this discussion is what so many of the teachers, administrators, the educational community and, and society in general, and, and going into juvenile justice, see as behaviors are actually behavioral symptoms from the exactly. brain. And exactly. in order to to get to the root of it, we need to stop being punitive and stop disciplining a disability and rather going back, looking at the, the cause of the disability and the symptom and getting even going from, you know, the tertiary to secondary to primary and just addressing those basic, basic symptoms. Then we can accommodate and learn how to accommodate because so often, and, and I know, and, and I've shared this at first for so many years, I just, I prayed for change and okay, please change. What do I do? Like you said, people going to, what did you do that work? And I realized, no, 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 it, it, I had to change myself mm -hmm. and how I, I parented that. and how I homeschooled and how I, you know, approached life as a mom and as, you know, just doing what I do. It had to be me who changed. And I think that as your child's best advocate, and I say child, you know, teen, young adult, mm -hmm. as your child's best advocate, you need to acknowledge that the change really has to start with you. So I'm really mm -hmm. glad that you're talking about, you know, that, that this is something that you can't stop the cycle by trying to get into the cycle. First, you have to acknowledge, okay, what am I doing and how can I advocate for my child? And then start going from there. Cause like you said, you know, so often our kids don't understand they're so disconnected. They don't understand that, that cause and effect, but we do, we can, if we know what to look for. So. Absolutely. I love that because, you know, it, it, and sometimes what we're changing is just a matter of a lens shift. I have a phrase, it's kind of a joke in our household, mom goggles, um, you know, and I, I'll tell my kids, even, even with my mom goggles off, you still are handsome fellows, you know, they just all oh, mom. But, you know, the thing is, is that we also have these lenses that are things that we've internalized from societal messages. Um, and, you know, when we have, when we shift our lens and we see my child is doing the best that they can, they're not, they're not, it's nothing personal because as a parent, when these things happen, it can feel very personal, you know, um, but it's not, it's, it, they may not have that ability yet to emote. Um, they, 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 or they, they might feel overwhelmed by their feelings. So, and that's, that's something that we can address. There are, um, thankfully now uh, there's a lot of information coming out and I can, I can genuinely say um, that personally can make a night and day difference um, in, in the relationship with the, in the relationship with the child. Um, and, and sometimes it's just a matter of being kind to ourselves as parents and, and, and having to take out those internalized messages and saying, this is something that uh, it's not, it's not because I'm not parenting, but I do need to parent different. And, and as you do that and you see the results of it, the more you do it, the less you worry about what other people are going to think about that you know? Um, and, and, and then you'll see some people kind of go, Oh, Hey, now 
You know, um, you got to just, you got to be confident when you're raising um, neurodivergence, you have got to be confident in yourself as a parent. And, and you have got to, you know, and that's something that can take time. It can ebb and flow, but really to, to take those steps, one foot in front of the other, you might not even be able to see two feet in front of you. Um, look for, there's resources, you know, and it's exhausting. Take, you know, take, sometimes you have to just take a break from it all too, right? You know, you can't, uh, it can be heavy for us too, right? Um, so I'm certainly not saying to, to dig yourself into the ground with it, you know, but um, it can be a way of being kind to yourself too, because you stop blaming yourself um, and, and hearing those messages that really um, a, lot, a lot of people, they've never been through it. They have no idea. They really don't. And like you said, too, finding your tribe, finding your people that will help yes. support you and your child and your family. That is so key because so often we feel so lonely on this journey journey. And we when we meet other people, like when I met you, I felt connection. She gets it. She understands this journey. So when you meet those people on the journey, they're so important because they can be that support that you need that where you felt previously all alone in that, in that journey. So, so let's talk, Dr. Deanna, let's talk about how we're talking about being proactive now. So again, taking that, making that shift from look, you know, how we see the school to prison pipeline is it's reactive. It's, you know, there, there are so many risk factors. What, how can we as parents be proactive and help develop protective factors so that our, you know, we help our kids avoid that STPP, whether they're in regular school, um, you know, or in public school. So, you know, when we, when we are raising children um, with neurodivergence and, and different brain-based diagnoses, uh, we need to become very keep aware of what's going on. Um, and, you know, I'll say that at one point, my son coming home and sharing something that had happened, it was very upsetting and, and, and painful for him. And I actually had a couple other parents approach me and say, you know, my child shared something with me that really concerns me that happened to your son in class. And they're very worried about something that happened in class that was done to your child. And so just remaining uh, cognizant of, okay, wait a minute. Okay. And realizing there's a lot of resources out there. So I certainly, you know, I want to encourage parents to be in the situation where they are getting the resources and the support that they need, but also, and I'll, I'll share this with, with you. There's been times over the last, well, in the beginning, particularly when things, when I started to see the fruits of the homeschooling and I thought, why didn't we do this sooner? Like I was kind of mad at myself in a way. And I had to kind of give myself grace and say, you know, we're on this journey where we're at, um, at the time in, in, in place that we're meant to be. And it is what it is without those experiences. I don't know that we would have gotten to that point. So, you know, it's just, that's our journey. We've had to process it, uh, work through it. Obviously we wish those things had not happened. Um, nobody would want that for their child to be, to be hurt in a school setting, you know, as, you know, emotionally hurt, but those things happen. But when we became aware of it and when it became very clear that this situation, this was not a place that we could work with. And I just, I guess kind of what I, if I could characterize my journey through parenting my boys, it would be one foot in front of the other. I look back over the years of what, and, and I know so many people identify with this and you honestly can look back and go, I don't know how I need to take that next step. Prayer, you know, um, by the grace of God, but honestly, um, I look back and I'm 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 perplexed by the journey that we took, um, and all the the uh, just twists and turns, and just one foot in front of the other. I had to kind of you know, and we've come to a place you know, and and, and let me just say, ch- children being teenagers, there's different challenges. You know, I say 
oh gosh, I thought that it was going to be a little, by the time we got here, you know, but there's, it's just hard in a different way, you know? Um, but at the same time, I feel that in, in matters of academics, okay, if we're just going to look at that, which is, that's not the only thing to look at because the child is, is a, is a whole human being. I feel that we've address so many issues. And even though we're not all the way there, now I see the path. I see the path, but it wasn't always so clear, you know? Uh, so that's that's just really something to keep in mind. Just one foot in front of the other, be mindful, be cognizant, of, uh, be aware, stay involved, know what's going on. Um, I know always, another, another oh, guest yeah. has told me, I'm sorry, doctor. No, go um, ahead. I know an, a, another guest on on um, a previous episode shared it's really relationship over academics. Absolutely, you know, Absolutely. academics is important, but having that foundation of trust and relationship with your child, with your children, that's key right there. That absolutely. Is key right there. And and quite honestly, there's days where we've had to say we're going to have to put this on the back burner today. Um, and, and that's very hard. That is hard to do. You know, we worry at this point in my journey, I worry a lot less about that. Um, and if, and I'll preface that by, or I'll add to that, that we actually have a very, we do work with a charter and we work with one that is just amazing. I mean, let me tell you, when we did the IEP, I went in there all prepared, all prepared why it was going to be IEP and not 504. And, I've, you know, I didn't have to. And when they offered me FAPE, I mean, I cried, you know, because to have somebody acknowledge um, and give your child the support that, I mean, you don't know what I've been through the last three years begging for the support and trying to find the resources. And, and, and unfortunately, it, it can be hard to find in a private setting. And I'll tell you, you know, when we were, we would be told, you know, we don't have these resources for your family because you don't qualify or this or that. I would say, okay, but please tell me, where can I get them? If I can't get them uh, publicly, where can I get them? Tell me, I'll do anything right now for my child. I'll do anything right now for my family to help put them on the right path, you know? And I had to make a lot of phone calls and I had to tell our story to a lot of people that would be like, yeah, we don't have, we, we can't help you. But don't give up. Don't be just turned away. You know, you get turned away at one place. Keep searching. It's exhausting. But, you know, when you find the resource, when you find the help, it is a significant impact. I'm so thankful you're saying that, Dr. Dana. Before we talk more about encouragement and, and words of hope and, and sharing again more resources, one final thing about the STPP. How can we as a society break this horrible cycle? Well, you know, uh, it's it's pretty embedded and that is the bad news. You know, I'm going to start off with some of the bad news, but um, really it's not impossible. But just like I talked about my shift in thinking, I think we have to get proactive in our advocacy and educating um, those who are interacting with our kids and uh, get the word out. You know, that's kind of like my thing. Like I love working with homeschool families, but I still feel like I have um, a heart for, for families and children um, in all different school settings. And I want to make sure that's, that's why I am doing what I'm doing now. That's why I, um, you know, I, well, you know, I, I, I left my district position. I, focus on um, my my boys homeschooling, but also it gave me a freedom to speak openly and say what needed to be said, right? Without having to worry about being, um, getting, you know, censored or getting, getting in you know, trouble. stepped on some toes, you know? That's right. Um, you gotta be careful. I still have such a huge heart for, and I, I firmly believe it can it can happen within a classroom setting. I don't think it's easy, but I do believe it can happen. And I do believe as a society, if we start this, um, if we start to, to change our perspective 
in the school system about what is, and, and it, you know what, I got to say, I'm seeing some tremblings of it. I'm seeing it, you know, um, I, I, I don't believe it's uh, in its best form yet, but we, we're seeing things come up like the PBIS. To be honest with you, my personal opinion is that's still a little too um, consequence and reward based um, for our children. But again, it's trying to be more proactive instead of reactive. So kudos for that. That, you know, any step in the right direction is a step in the right direction. Let's go with it. You know, taking these traditional discipline, discipline, and instead taking the discipline and turning it into a conversation, a collaboration, you know, and again, I know this can be, it can be a controversial topic because sometimes we can find situations where a student that is overwhelmed and doesn't have the ability to to emote, uh, there's been situations where, you know, it, it may feel unsafe. Um, and, and so I certainly, I am completely um, empathetic to that. And, and, but I do believe there are better, more effective and efficient ways to address this and actually do what's in the best interest of our society. Yes. and the children, and yes. the families, you know, so changing, shifting that lens of traditional and, and discipline, um, even the term management, um, and shifting away from that, we're growing children, we're growing human beings, you know, um, and we're guiding them. Doesn't mean there's not consequences, it doesn't mean, you know, but again, um, I'll, go back to Dr. Green's work and I'll, I'll say it is absolutely uh, a complete perspective um, shift when you look at that and you think, and I wish, honestly, I wish I would have come to this earlier as an educator. Um, before I had kids, you know, I used to not, I, I didn't quite understand this, you know, the same way that I do now. Um, and so, I was, but I was always actually, I did love to have kids work, you know, stand behind their desks. And I had a, a one that would sit under her desk as long as she was reading, she's doing her work. I mean, I, the foundation was there, but certainly I've grown over the years as I've learned more. And I will say too, when we talk to families, I share this to let them know that they're not imagining how hard it is to, to navigate this because I was in education for 21 years. I grew up in education um, with a mother who was, um, I mean, I, like I said, she was an admin. She worked SB 65 for uh, Sacramento. She was very ingrained in education. And I grew up around that world. I, when it came to navigating it with my own kids, I can't tell you how perplexed I was. And I thought, if this is that hard for me, and I'm having this thrown at me, you know, and my kids, this is, this is hard. This is really, really hard to navigate. And Dr. Deanna, I'm so glad that you're using the word navigate because with navigate, instead of, instead of saying managing, managing connotes <laughs> this negative, we're taking over, we're redirecting. No, navigating, like you're talking about, that shares that sense of collaboration of, of mm -hmm. co-regulation. So you're, you know, we talk a lot on this podcast about co-regulating, you know, and walking alongside your child, teen, loved one um, with a brain-based diagnosis. And that collaboration needs to happen. You know, we need to think, like you said, we need to reframe this, put on those, those lens of accommodation support and looking at the brain-based diagnosis in an accommodation way, rather than, like you said, this, this negative management way. No, it, mm -hmm. it's not about management. It's, you know, if we talk about another type of a, a medical diagnosis or something else, it's not about management. It's about how do we support? How do we accommodate? How do we help that person thrive? It's the same thing with our kids that have brain-based diagnoses. How do we support? Absolutely. How do we accommodate? How do we help thrive? One thing you and I, we have quite a few things in common. And, and 
again, Dr. Dina, I'm so thankful that you're on FASD Hope today because I really think this conversation needs to be heard by our listeners, but also not only to, to point out this, you know, the cycle and this, the systemic cycle that's happened and, and to point out that there is hope that can, you know, that you, that does not have to happen. You know, this, what has happened does not have to happen. I strongly, genuinely believe that homeschooling for us helped break that cycle for our son. He could have very easily fallen into that cycle. You and I both, again, this is not a, we're not bashing anything. We, we both acknowledge that different school, different learning experiences. There's no one solution for, it looks different for every, every child, every teen. For me personally, I truly treasure homeschooling in both my children, you know, um, as a way for us to support and accommodate, but especially to discover their strengths, you know, and both my Mm -hmm. children have very, very unique strengths. Um, So that's one of the many reasons that we love to homeschool and that that has helped, you know, um, both of our children. What are just a couple of your favorite reasons for homeschooling that really has shown that um, it's made learning such an experience that allows your, um, your sons to thrive? You know, um, gosh, where do I start? Well, even with my son that is now um, back in in the traditional setting, um, and he's, he's told me this, uh, you know, he really values the times that we, because we have horse trails by our house and we would take these walks. We had these conversations that were very organic. And um, he's a very deep thinker. And so I treasure that because how often do you really get that with your middle schooler? You know, for my older son, you know, I really identify with this idea of you found their strengths. And for my son, he began to understand as he was feeling successful and building upon that success, he started to see a future for himself. I, I can't, it's like, I could almost see this and I look back and I, now I can see how it unfolded. So I kind of see how it happened. Um, but you know, as he started to learn that he was having success once again, and he was starting to build, um, his executive skills, he started to identify what he wanted to do. And for the first time in his life, I think he was really convinced that he could do that. He wants to go into architecture. He wants to go to the Frank Lloyd Wright School of Architecture in Scottsdale. And that's his favorite architect, you know? And at one point, I don't think he saw the path to that. But he started to see, because we 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 talked about, okay, this is the path towards that. This is, you know, the steps you take to get there. Um, but at the same time, guess what? When it came to his curriculum, even, you know, though we work with a charter school, we're able to do uh, classes that fulfill his requirements that get him towards because he needs to be able to go to college for what he wants to do, Um, like environmental science. And they're talking about the even impact of construction and how to build, you know, environmentally friendly. So all, I mean, perfect. This is amazing. This goes right. And he's very, that's very important to him. And then they even put him on a construction technical education track now where he gets OSHA certified. He gets all the, so, you know, I mean, honestly, we would not have been walking this path without homeschool for him, for him. So, you know, I, and I, again, I think I've talked a rabbit trail. Oh, I know. Speaking of rabbit trails, I, <laughs> I just, I, I want to share this. Why homeschool is so amazing it gave us opportunities to do things we never would have been able to do. And we had an opportunity last spring. I won't tell the whole story, but we ended up getting to uh, rewild some uh, wild uh, bunnies. Uh, They weren't taking them into the, uh, the rehabilitation center, but they told us what we needed to do. They walked us through it. We contacted experts and we were able to rewild two of the bunnies and successfully. And that experience, um, I can't tell you what that, I can't even put into words what that develops in 
a, a young, a boy or a girl, but to see that type of heart in a young, a young man, it, perfect. I couldn't, I couldn't wish for, you know, that just perfect. I can't put it into words. Amazing to watch my son, uh, syringe feed these little babies and then rewild them back in. And he's still putting out lettuce out there for them to come and get, you know, I mean, so those, those experiences are precious and they capitalize on his strength. And now we actually have a domestic fund. Love that. So, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it opens up the opportunities. Like you said, I love that. Oh, I love that. And I can say that I, every time you talk, Dr. Deanna, I've just, I nod my head in agreement so, so often because what you're saying just resonates with me as, as a mom, as a homeschool mom, as a parent advocate. So this is, it's a heavy topic. This is something we, we need to talk about. But I'm so thankful that we're able to take hope out of this and 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 how can we change the trajectory? How can we change that path that we you know we we thought our kids were destined to be on? So I'd love for you to share your resources, how people can get in touch with you. We will be sharing your information on our uh, social media posts, as well as our program notes. But can you just quickly um, share how folks can get in touch with you? So I have a website, um, uh, Um It's just my name. And um, and then I, I also have a Facebook page called Dr. Homeschooling Mama, uh, spelled M-O-M-M-A. And um, on that, I often will share um, throwbacks to when we did homeschool preschool because we did. I, I thought I wanted to do the homeschool in the beginning, but we had been doing preschool and then we decided to put them in to traditional school at that point. We all know where we ended up, but um, I share flashbacks from throwbacks from those days and give ideas of things. Um, I share posts or when I have something published, I'll share that. Um, offerings that are coming up. So I share that on my um, Facebook page. And then I can also be reached by email at Deanna at DeannaWestet.com. Those are the best ways to get a hold of me. And my website, uh, if you click on my Once Hub link and schedule, you can schedule a meeting with me for um, 20 20 minutes. And um, if you want to see if we're a good fit to work together. Fantastic. And once again, we'll be sharing those links and uh, those handles on today's uh, program notes, as well as um, our social media posts this week. So you have been a giver of hope to me, Dr. Deanna, you just Wonderful. speaking with you, our previous conversation and, and today's conversation. I am so thankful for First of all, thank you for sharing your journey because we all know that in on this road, when you share a page of your journey, it can become a page, you know, of someone else's survival guide to paraphrase Morgan Harper Nichols' wonderful quote. Um, so by your sharing that part of your journey and that you're still on, it, that can be a page of hope for someone who is just starting and just starting to realize what's happening. This is a heavy road. This is a heavy topic. Uh, but you and I both know that there are many moments of hope and there are many moments of joy on this road. Can you just leave us with some words of hope for our listeners so that they know that um, paths can change? You know, um, when I when I shared about that um, that journey and just one foot in front of the other, and sometimes that path in front of you is not clear at the moment, but you will get to the goal and the goal may not always be clear. Um, it can change from day to day and that's okay. Um, but that you'll look back upon that and it, it, it is worth, it is worth it. Um, I would say also to couple that with grace for yourself. Um, you know, we, we need to give grace to our children. We need to give grace to ourselves um, because what we're doing is not easy. And, and, and that's okay. That's okay to admit it. It's okay to admit that it's hard, 
but we can give grace to ourselves and, um, you know, know that uh, even if we have a misstep or, you know, we don't have to know all those answers uh, to really have confidence in, in yourself as the parent that God has placed with that child um, in whatever form that, that you have become a family, whatever method you have become a family. But that child, that was, that's, that is by design and it, it doesn't make it easy, but I do believe that. So um, I share that. And again, surround yourself with your people. And when you find people that don't understand, just know it's a them thing and not a you thing, you know, and just find the people that, that are understanding that journey. And, and um, is it okay that I share my verse? Of course. Okay. So my verse um you know, is um, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Um, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths and or your path. And um, I love that with the parenting journey, first of all, path. But also because um, sometimes when we talk about those internalized messages that we get from the world and from society, um, but that's where we're, we don't lean on our own understanding. We don't lean on the understanding of the world. We lean on the understanding of, of God who has created this individual child. And even um, though there can be uh, some challenges and maybe they, uh, you know, we can look at that from all different lenses, but this, this individual child has so much to offer. You are who was meant for them. And, um, so again, not to lean on the wisdom of the world so much. I mean, you know, like we talked about experts and getting that help, but also, um, focusing on what we know to be the truth. And with those powerful words of hope, Dr. Deanna Wested, thank you so much for being on FASD Hope. You're welcome. Thank you for having me and letting me share. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Becchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out FASDHope.com or please leave us a five-star rating and review and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us again next week and remember to be informed, take care, and always have hope.